Podcast. Hi, and thank you for joining us for episode 11 of the Jelly Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Rod Jans. On the Jelly Marketing Podcast, we ask global industry leaders from world-class brands to share their best practices, stories, innovations, and more to help you move your agency, business, or organization ahead. In this episode, we discuss our guest's quest for 100,000 YouTube subscribers, what he is learning about online marketing, and the changes and differences of video on the different social media platforms. Our guest, Steve Dotto, has been called Canada's most respected geek. He hosted a TV show called Dotto Tech that provided people with advice on how to use technology. Once the show ended, Steve started to help people learn how to use productivity tools like Evernote. For the past two years, Steve has been on a quest to get over 100,000 YouTube subscribers on the Dotto Tech video blog. Episode number 11, the quest for 100,000 YouTube subscribers. Here we go. Hi, Steve. Thanks for joining me on the Jelly Marketing Podcast. It's a pleasure, Rod. Steve's company and website is Dotto Tech. Steve's been in the business for years of helping people with their online tech issues, learning, you know, teaching people how to use software and all of that kind of stuff. I'd like to hear it from you, though. What do you, how do you describe your business and what you do? Oh, geez. Uh, well, I, I, I pretty much I've got become a content marketer now. I, oops, sorry about that. Um, the uh, yeah, my Farley thinks I am as well. Is that right, Farley? We content marketing now? Yes, we are, dog. <laughs> I, I guess, you know, for, for, for people that don't know my backstory, we did, uh, 20 years or so of broadcast, uh, in Canada. We did a, a regular, uh, TV show here and radio and did a newspaper, kind of was in all the traditional medias. <clears throat> but, uh, stopped doing that in late 2010 and, uh, began the transition over into the online space, uh, shortly after. Holy cow, is it six years ago now? Wow. It's, it's longer than I thought. But, uh, but, uh, as I moved across, I just started to kind of recreate my content, which is basically how to content. Uh, and, uh, kind of listen to what my audience was interested in and, uh, let them lead me to, to where the business opportunities came. And they've kind of turned me into a, a content marketer. We sell information products, do a lot of speaking. Uh, but it's a, it's a, it's a complex cocktail <laughs> as far as what I do on a daily basis. Yeah. All kinds of things. Like I see on your website speaking and you have courses. And then of course you do the, the how to's on, on, uh, on YouTube. So yeah, you got yeah. quite a mix going. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Yeah. And it, and it was really as a result of, uh, I, I was kind of, when I started in the online space, I didn't, I didn't have a business model or I had one, I think, but it, it wasn't, uh, it, it wasn't going to be fruitful. And uh, I just kind of had to kind of had to adapt as the, uh, as the market led me to, you know, uh, revenue opportunities. Yeah. And I got to say, I'm personally, I just on a personal note, I'm really excited because I, I, I started to get to know you, I would say kind of in the in-between years, it was probably six years ago where we, where we actually met in person a couple of times and mm -hmm. you seem like a person in search of a platform. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, it's been really exciting to see, uh, you know, the quest for a hundred thousand and, and see you reach it and kind of watch from a distance. Mm -hmm. And, uh, even, even, uh, we're kind enough to give me a little advice along the way in, in terms of uh, marketing my podcast and stuff like that. So I just, it, it just made me all the more excited to see you, uh, to see you succeed. And uh, I just want to congratulate you on, on your recent success. It's awesome. Oh, thank, 
Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate it. Well, it's, you know, it's a, the online business, there's no one path to success in the online space. And, you know, the, uh, you know, the, you basically have to take whatever you have to offer and what your audience is looking for. And then you have to find the right mix for you. Uh, for me, it took me, it took me about four years, you know, from the time for, it's only the last two years that we've really had any su- substantial success. It took me a long time to kind of figure out, uh, to figure out the game, uh, here. And, and a lot of that was due to my own, my own, uh, kind of, uh, my own personal ethics, though, you know, the sorts of things that I was willing to do and the things that I resisted doing and and that sort of stuff as you as you start to develop your product mix uh, and also your own ego to a certain extent you know you think that something's going to work and you think you have it figured out and then you don't pay attention to good advice and then eventually when you come back and actually listen to that advice and then all of a sudden you you find success you go oh yeah I should have done that earlier how did you get into this space in the first place how did you get into <laughs> teaching people about technology what were you doing before the tv show even well, I, I was uh, I was a com- kind of a computer guy, I guess. I did. I was uh, actually if you go way back in the way back machine, I was an actor, and I uh, I got cast by Second City to be in the uh, the uh, Second City uh, cast uh, for Expo '86 in Vancouver, uh, and that had a phenomenal uh, t- talented cast. And uh, I wasn't that good, and I got fired. <laughs> <laughs> And, uh, and, uh, I was looking for a job and I started actually just kind of programming, uh, message boards and, uh, uh, I started doing, uh, the sign boards inside of arenas and stadiums and kind of got to know the technology from that perspective. And, uh, I was always mechanically minded. I actually used to f- repair printing presses as a, as a job to help kind of support myself, uh, cause I was always gifted mechanically. And, uh, I kind of was there at the beginning when technology, the computers that I was working on kind of came together with the printing presses that I was working on at the, at the birth of desktop publishing. And I was right at the heart of that. So I started selling those systems and Apple, it was, of course, uh, at the, at the heart of desktop publishing. And they, uh, invited me a few times to give a couple of talks to different, uh, to different uh, seminars and stuff and they found me to be very entertaining because I was I had a theater background and informative because I understood the technology and that was really the beginning I started kind of giving talks and somebody saw me give a talk once and they said oh we're doing a TV series uh, we'd like you to host it and uh, so I hosted a TV series for them and I thought this is this is a good way to make a living and so I decided to kind of do my own TV show and uh, we, we were lucky enough that we got some really great breaks and we got in with some of the, some of the right people and we put our show on the air and, and then we had a good long run we had 15 years on the air with uh with uh with uh with uh with the dotto tech brand and so that was kind of the beginning it all started with me showing desktop publishing stuff to people and and i've heard you speak and i gotta say one of the things i appreciate about your talk too at least on that particular day it seemed like everybody was doing the whole s- setup kind of thing like they were giving you just a little bit of value and making you feel like the whatever it was they were telling you about was probably impossible for you to do on your own. And then the, the inevitable close, like if you buy today, it's $600. Mm-hmm. But if you wait till tomorrow, it was a thousand dollars. Yeah. And you didn't do that. I really appreciated that actually. Oh. You're, you're kind of well, like the unmarketer. <clears throat> I like it. <laughs> well, that was the, when I was talking about those ethical dilemmas, that was it. <clears throat> I never wanted to be the online marketing guy. Yeah. Uh, and even though my business now does, you know, I make the preponderance of my money from selling courses and stuff. I really rail against what I consider to be unethical practices in the online space. I, I hate, uh, the, I hate, uh, people doing false uh, scarcity, uh, where, you know, people say, you know, just what you said there, you know, it's $600 today, but it's a thousand dollars tomorrow and then it's not available. And it's an online course that they can download at any time. Why is the, you know, you know, it's only going to be available today at this price, but then you go on the website two weeks later and it's the same price and these sorts of things really bother 
bother me because uh, I guess my reputation is is more important to me than the money at the end of the day. And so many online marketers use these tools, which work. I mean, we know that things like, you know, creating urgency and stuff like that work, but they, they aren't techniques that I was willing to build my business on. So, uh, so it took me a while to figure out, you know, just how you, you, first of all, how you create the trust that with people, because you're in this space where a lot of people aren't necessarily a hundred percent trustworthy. And then also how you create the, the actual sales, because those techniques to close people, to get them to actually purchase products, they do work. And it's a lot harder work to kind of get a legitimate sale. But at the end of the day, when you get a legitimate sale, you also get a customer for life if you're doing a good job. And so, you know, very quickly, I think you catch up and you start kind of kind of being on the positive side of that ledger. I'd like to go down the vein a little bit of the 100K subscription site uh, <laughs> where, sure. you, where you're giving tips. What, what should I call that? What's the best name for that particular uh, show or what, well, what you're doing there? Oh, that was just that's a vlog that I did. Uh, yeah. You know, it's like a blog, but I did it in video. And what was happening was uh, I kind of had two sides to my business when I started in the online space. Is I continued teaching people about productivity tools uh, like Evernote and OneNote and these sorts of tools. Uh, but I was really, even though I, I did a lot, you know, in my audience knew me for doing, teaching people how to use technology. I was fascinated by the online marketing space and learning about it because it was brand new to me. I was new to it. I, I mean, when I started, I didn't know what a, I didn't know what a lead magnet was. and I didn't know what an opt-in page was. And I didn't know what a squeeze page was. I didn't know what a funnel was, a sales funnel. I didn't know any of that. So I was on this journey of, of, uh, you know, of suddenly after having a, a 20 year career in broadcast, excuse me, I was on a journey of learning again and I got really excited and I wanted to share it. And so, uh, you know, for me, I thought, you know, and people seemed interested in my perspective on things. So I started this vlog, uh, where I talked about the things that I was learning in the online marketing space, in the online, uh, and then in the content marketing space. And, and I always set goals. I'm, you know, goals give you things to work towards and they, they're just, you know, tremendous for helping you measure your success. So I set a goal, uh, which I thought was fairly aggressive of growing my YouTube channel to a hundred thousand subscribers in the first kind of two years that we were on air. And we just missed it. We came very close. Uh, we're well over a hundred thousand subscribers now, but it, it, but the, uh, the narrative of that journey of what I was learning, the mistakes I was making, and, and I was pretty transparent in, in the vlog, uh, became quite a popular, came quite a popular addition to my content mix. And as a content creator, it was easy content to create because it was top of mind stuff. It was conversational. I wasn't, I wasn't having to do like a lot of research. It was the things that I was doing to grow my business anyways. And people, and also I was getting lots of really positive feedback from people who were giving me new suggestions and kind of it, it became a bit of a kind of a, the, the heart of that community for me. Maybe without realizing it, did you realize that people, that once you went on this quest, that people would kind of join you and, and cheer you on and you know because no i didn't i you know that's that was the surprise was when i like the 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 joy that the community <laughs> kind of expressed when we passed the hundred thousand mark and when when uh youtube sent me the you know the youtube the silver play button and all of that sort of stuff and that was quite heart that was quite uh, heartwarming that you know that people care about it but i think that's the nature of you know and i and I, that's the nature of leadership to a certain extent right is when you're willing to take on a little bit responsibility to teach people and you decide that you're going to help a community move ahead uh which is what i really did and i the, the biggest thing that i did in growing my youtube channel was i made a commitment to have a dialogue uh I, I didn't make a commitment to do anything other than to go in and every day check what was happening in youtube comments respond to people's questions and help them along their journey 
and react. Now, a lot of those people, a lot of those posts are just, I liked your video and I say thank you. But I've, from that, from the day I started the YouTube channel, really aggressively growing it, I, hardly a day has gone by that my first thing that I do when I, turn on my computer in the morning is not go into comments and go through each and every comment and at least give them a thumbs up so they know that I've read them, read every comment, and then react to as many as I can. And that that's when I, when I talk about the fact that the community has led me to to, to kind of build my business model. That's the that's the kind of the uh, the engine room that's caused that all to happen. And but a part of that is, you know, the responsibility of being there and really and listening and then reacting. So uh, so for me, that I guess that that leadership position that I took on myself for my community in YouTube uh, ends up uh, ends up really paying off because people appreciate that. They appreciate that guidance. They appreciate the effort and they uh, feel that they've kind of got skin in the game. Uh, you know, they feel that they, you know, when, when we, when we have success, when I have success, they feel that, yes, my, you know, the, the, the community that I'm part of has had a success. So that was a, that was really quite pleasant for me when, when we were quite joyous for me, actually, when, when I saw all of that reaction. Yeah. No, it's pretty cool. Like you, you incorporated a lot of really wise online marketing elements, I think. And you, like you created community, you responded to people's comments, you, you were there to, you were there to help. It wasn't all just, you know, it wasn't all arm twisting and you weren't, you didn't even necessarily, I think when you started, you didn't have programs and things to even sell, right? You were there just, yeah. there, there just to help people. And, uh, I think people really, uh, they, they really appreciate that, don't they? They do. And I mean, there should be, there should be seasons to your business. I mean, there's times when I do sell fairly aggressively when I've got a new pro- product that I'm launching. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, 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 I feel that I feel I have license to get aggressive and sell because the rest of the time I'm aggressive with information. I, you know, I'm aggressive with sharing. I'm aggressive with moving the ball downfield for, for the community. So I think that when you do that, you can, you know, when people come on with you, they, you earn their trust over time. And, you know, there's that hackneyed phrase of, you know, people knowing you, liking you and trusting you. But the truth of the matter is it's just like parenting. You know, it's not about necessarily quality time. It's about quantity time as well. And, you know, being there consistently through the mundane stuff, answering the, 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 you know, the boring questions, producing the videos that maybe aren't as sexy and aren't as exciting, but actually help people out in their everyday things. Those that's, it's that consistency in being there that just generates trust the fact that they're you're constantly creating content means that they know you and that combination creates the uh, you know creates the fact that they like you and uh, and ultimately in some cases want to do business with you and it doesn't take a large community online to have a fairly successful business you know as far as sales go you know our, our cost of business is you know when we're selling information products we, we don't have packaging we don't have shipping we don't have a lot of things right so it's a uh, the profit margins are pretty high when you start selling online content so you've had to learn about online marketing and I, I hope people don't get the wrong impression that from me at least that I don't think you should be, you should sell. I totally, totally think you should sell online. What, what are some of the lessons that you've learned in the last couple of years as you've tried to, to, to sell your courses and that sort of thing? You know, there's the, a lot of them come down to our own insecurities. Like, uh, one of the biggest lessons is, is we tend to really over, uh, over deliver. And that's the nature of the beast, I think, is that, you know, when I look at my course content, I often pack so much content into the course that when I look at people, how people consume it, and especially when you've got a nice uh, 
course delivery tool like a, I've just migrated a lot of my content over to a platform called Thinkific. And the thing that I love about it is I can go into it at any point and I see exactly what people are consuming and how far they're getting into the course content. And I see, you know, the 100% cons- consumption from lesson one and then, you know, 85% lesson two. And then I'm realizing by the time they get to the last lessons where I was actually myself struggling to come up with enough content for it, I see the drop off. And I realize that the sweet spot is giving them, uh, you you know, maybe a little lighter course, less content, but more relevant content, which is actually easier for me to produce because I'm not struggling to produce more content. So lesson number one is, you know, you don't necessarily have to over deliver uh, to the to the level that you might think. I think we always want to over deliver as far as uh, the customer experience. But content, you can sometimes scale it back a little bit, making sure that you're concentrating on just the core things. Uh, that would be one. Number Lesson number two is you should be in permanent list building mode. You know, for online marketers, there's still no more valuable tool in that email list. And whatever tool you're using, be it MailChimp or, you know, Infusionsoft or ConvertKit or whatever you happen to be, it would, would happen, ever happens to be a product if or a tool. If you aren't actively trying to build your list each and every day, you're making a big mistake. And people that you know, are spending their time building their Facebook lists or building their Facebook likes or building their Instagram likes and follows or building their, you know, YouTube subscribers. That's all fine. We have to do that. But if you don't have a strategy to migrate those people into a mail list of your own, all you're doing is you're building YouTube's audience, you're building Facebook's audience, and you're building uh, Instagram's audience. Because until they're in your list, they are Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube's customers. Because they could disenfranchise you tomorrow from your account and you have no access to those people ever again. And that's a tenuous place to be. Mm-hmm. And I think for you too, where you're continually offering new courses and coming up with new content and stuff like that, uh, you, you need to have a venue or a way to reach your audience and, and you got to have your own list, don't you, to do that? Oh, yeah. yeah. I, and and uh, well, the power of the list can't be better exemplified than what happened last month with me. I, uh, I've always been anxious and nervous. I do good webinars. I do good webinars. I sound like <laughs> but I, I, my webinars are, are entertaining. They're value packed. I've got, you know, all the years of traditional live broadcast to fall back on. So I understand how to deliver a good webinar. And I've got my own philosophy on what can, what a good webinar contains. Uh, but I've always been reticent to charge for my webinars just because of insecurities, I would say. But, uh, Chris Brogan is a, a fellow who I follow and like and uh, can have occasional conversations with he has been uh, doing for the last year he's been delivering webinars all of his webinars which are also exceptional he's been charging for it. and i've been watching him kind of with a little bit of you know awe as he's you know generating revenue from you know the, these activities of you know which were basically you know community building which are delivering webinars and he even sells at the end of his webinars he, he'll charge for a webinar and then sell you his product at the end of it i go <laughs> oh god you this is just like you're too cool chris <laughs> But I finally got the courage last uh, a couple of weeks ago to do my first revenue webinar. And so I promoted it just to my list. I didn't promote it outside of my list. But we had 160 people pay $40 US to take a webinar with me. And it was a webinar where I was teaching a valuable skill. I, I chose not to sell anything at the end of it. Uh, but the end result was I ended up making more money from that webinar than I did from my very first course that I worked ever so hard 
to deliver. And my audience was thrilled with it. I think I, I always offer a money back guarantee and I had three refunds and, and none of them were un, unhappy with the content. It just wasn't what they were expecting or, uh, yeah, or they already had the tools. They already had the skills. So they were more advanced than what they needed as far as by the webinar went. But, when I look at that, that's as a result of growing a list, growing expectations, building that no like and trust factor, uh, and just marketing to my list. I was able to take a product, a webinar, which I would have done for free in the past and generate a fairly healthy revenue from it. And that is because I have relentlessly built my list for the last year and a half. Mm-hmm. What else has been a, what else have you learned in the last uh, couple of years about marketing yourself? It sounds like you had a, you've had a breakthrough on that level as well. Consistency, you know, and that's what I struggle with is in consistency in publishing, you know, being, being reliable. You know, it's one thing to be reliable as far as responding to your audience. It's another thing to be reliable as far as producing, you know, regular content that they can learn to rely on. So I've noticed in it, and I'm not as good at it as others, but I've noticed people like when I watch what's happened, say, with Amy Porterfield, and I see now she's just grown her brand so exponentially. And, and a lot of that happened when I think when two things happened, when one was when she committed to producing her podcast on a weekly basis and she really and i know that was a big struggle for her listening to her talk about it so that was number one and number two was a part and parcel of that is that in every one of her podcasts she has a list building uh giveaway you know she has something that people can download but they have to add they have to um sign up for it and that combination i think has probably turbocharged her success, which has been meteoric as far as I'm concerned. So that, and and that, so that's a lesson that I'm still working with personally trying to get a little more consistent on is, 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 is reaching that publishing schedule that people are, that people are looking for. So that might be another, you know, kind of really valuable tip for anybody that's creating content is, is finding the rhythm that you can deliver on and making sure that you, that you don't disappoint your audience. And do you have a discipline around that? Like you're probably, you probably have, a, have an Evernote list, I'm, I, I'd imagine, but are you always trying to I've got be good, open and looking for new, you know, subjects to, to talk about? My research skills are exceptional. I'm always, I've got, uh, as far as gathering and collecting information, I do use Evernote and I use the Evernote web clipper and I've got a document which is, to anybody else looking at it, would look like a dog's breakfast, but to me is gold, which is all of the different ideas I have for all of my different stories. Uh, and so my research works quite well. Uh, production time, because I'm such a, because I do it all myself, I, I write the story, I record it, I edit it, I take it right to the final stages and upload it to YouTube and then I have an assess, assistant that takes over and does all of the optimization and uh, the tagging and the, uh, you know, the, um, the basically the SEO prep on the videos. Uh, but getting the video to the uploaded stage is all me. And so when I'm doing speaking engagements or when I've got other things going on, sometimes my, sometimes I'm just not as able to, to produce as much content as, as I would like. So I'm, I'm still don't have the consistency in publishing, but my research and so I've, I've got a backlog. I don't have, uh, I never experienced writer's block as far as not having an idea of a video to make. I've got, you know, eight or 10 or 20 at any one time that I want to make. And how frequently are you putting videos? Are you doing it on a weekly basis? Yeah, we put, we try and publish at least. I, I would like to be three times a week. I average probably about two times a week getting a new video up. So I don't ask everybody this, but this this question is popping in, in into my mind, and and I like I like asking it occasionally, and it's the time machine question. <laughs> so if if Steve today could go back and talk to Steve, uh, who was just beginning his media career, what what advice would you give to that Steve? 
Well, I, I don't know about that one because I could barely remember how I made the, I mean, just getting a TV show on the air, <laughs> yeah. uh, in, in our, you know, in the environment in 1992, 93, 94, when we started our show, uh, I think I did most things right at that time. So I wouldn't give him too much advice because well, I wouldn't want to mess machine, with it. So you can pick the, you can pick the year that you want to go back but, to. <laughs> but if I could go back to about, you know, about the year 2002 or 2003, I would have invested a lot more time in, uh, in taking with when YouTube first began, I guess, when was I first on YouTube? 2007. When we first started our YouTube channel for Dotto's, Dotto Tech in 2007, we had no idea how YouTube was going to work for us. And so we just posted up content that was repurposed content from our TV show. And I, if I could go back to that point there, I would really invest in original content for YouTube and start building that my whole, the whole online you know, list and all of that sort of stuff at that point so that there was a smooth transition when I stopped doing broadcast into the online space. Starting from scratch when I went online was, it was very difficult and it would have been nice to just able to step off, you know, kind of off, off one train onto the next train that was already steaming full speed ahead. So I would have, I would have invested an awful lot more in the entire online uh, space in about 2007 as I was, you know, just as YouTube was launching, I would have jumped on that bandwagon as early as possible. That was another question that popped into mind today as I was thinking about talking to you. I'm wondering, you know, you must be aware of, the changing, ever changing landscape online. How carefully are you watching things like Snapchat and now, and now Instagram has short stories and all of that kind of stuff? Yeah. I, I mean, I think you must be keeping an eye on that kind of thing as well. I do, but here's the thing. Uh, and YouTube to me is, I mean, YouTube is, you, most people consider YouTube to be a distri- content, content distribution platform, a video distribution platform. I don't look at the, YouTube as that. YouTube is a search engine. YouTube is a discovery tool. YouTube is the second largest search engine on the planet, and it is where people find you. When I look at my YouTube statistics, the views make a difference to me, and I make some money from it, and I do, you know, it all works as far as that's concerned. But the real value is new people discovering me in YouTube and being migrated over onto my mail list. That's where YouTube excels, and that's where YouTube puts dollars into my pocket, the real significant dollars. And helps my business moving ahead. So if we look at YouTube as a search engine, I think that's the number one thing that you have to consider. When we talk about video and people are all saying, oh, Facebook video is getting all these views and it's crushing YouTube and now Instagram video. These we talk about video like video is one word that and everything is the same as far as video goes. But when we talk about words, we don't talk about the words that are in the email and look at them the same as the words that are in a post and looked at those words as the same words as the words are in a tweet and look at those words as the same words that are the words in a contract or in a warranty. If you look at all of your words on a paper or on the pay on the screen, they look the same, but they've, they're profoundly different in how we apply them. Video is the same. Just because it's video, just because it's a moving and audio uh, medium, doesn't mean that video that we view on YouTube is the same as video on Facebook, is the same as video on Instagram, is the same as video on television, is the same as video that we see in, in feature films. It, it, it looks the same if you just look at it as, a, as an image, but it's got a very different purpose and it's got a very different, uh, a very different uh, intent in how it's created. The video I create for YouTube is nothing the same as a video I would create for Facebook because Facebook people aren't coming and searching to watch my video. A video view in YouTube is an intentional view. A video view in Facebook is an accidental view. It's a whole different thing. Well, you know, why would I post a video on how to use Evernote in Facebook 
when nobody in, fa- in Facebook is looking for that. They're looking for cute dogs and they're looking for what's happening in my life and they're looking for all sorts of other things. They're not looking for to develop productivity skills. You go to YouTube for that. It's an intentional view. Facebook is an accidental view. And in, in the video that you see from me in Instagram, that's a personal conversation to a certain extent. You know, that's very personal about what's going on in my life, as is Snapchat. And it's gotten, you know, again, probably very different than the sort of video, uh, moderately different than the video I'd post on Facebook, but profoundly different than the video that I would use in YouTube. So when we talk about the changing world of video, I think that we make a bit bit of a mistake trying to glump all of video. Glump. I just made that word up. It's a good word. Glump. Glump (laughs) all video all up under, you know, kind of under this umbrella of this is video. It's, you know, as I say, it's the same as saying this is words. How do you use your words? Are you concerned that Facebook has now got or Twitter is now allowing more words? And is it now going to compete with blog posts or warranties or legal contracts? <laughs> it's, you know, words are words, video is video, and it's how we apply them. And so these different channels, uh, it, it's all about our intended use and the intended consumption that defines it. So while I do watch it, I don't consider I don't consider Facebook video to be competition at all for YouTube video. What I consider to be competition for YouTube is if Facebook ever figures out search, then they they're going to start competing because then people can start looking for the video that they want on Facebook. When they can do that, it's going to become part of the conversation. But right now, I don't think it's worth spending my energy on. Yeah, well, that's a great perspective. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. And, and so far, Facebook hasn't figured out search, have they? Their search is terrible, I think. No. And it's, and it's, and Facebook is never going to because YouTube wants you just to watch and wants you to find exactly what you're looking for. Facebook wants to, you to see what they get paid for. Yeah. There's a whole different, there's a whole different, I mean, the, 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 the philosophical models go very deep. And believe me, I'm, I'm not, a, I'm not down on Facebook. I use Facebook every day. I, my budget goes to Facebook because it's another phenomenal discovery tool. I spend money on Facebook ads each and every day. That's something, and not a lot of money, but it's something that I do to list build every day to discover new people or to have new people discover me. So I'm not down on it in any, in any way, shape or form, but it isn't what YouTube is. You don't go to Facebook to learn how how to change the light bulb in your 1955 Buick. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a great point. I, <laughs> I, on a personal note, I had problems with one of my cars. I blew the main fuse and I went to YouTube to, yeah. and there was, it's a 2005 Mazda protege. And there was a video specifically on how to change that fuse. Of course on there is. Yeah. <laughs> and here's the beauty of it. And here's where it's so f- successful. You probably watched that on your phone in your car. Absolutely, I did. Yeah. 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 See, Facebook. See, this is the thing about video. The one of the beauties of one of the reasons we are so entranced by video is the f- mobile phone and the format of the phone is ideal for viewing video. And with this ADHD world we live in today, where we want instant gratification, we want to be we want to be stimulated as we consume anything. Text is really starting to get a, take a back seat because you have to work hard to get to know somebody or to get to an idea from reading text. You have to think. And our society just isn't really happy thinking anymore. We just want to be shown. And video basically spoon feeds it all to us. And the format, and if you think about a, a phone, you can't get much text on a phone, and it's hard work to read on a phone. It's really easy to consume video on a phone. Well, you think about my car example. It's it's hard to read instructions sometimes on putting things yeah. together and making changes. But to be able to watch it, I watched it a couple times even, just hit sure. replay and watch it again, and then no problem. It was... 
it was easy. Yeah. Yep. It'll work. Yep. Good. Well, Steve, this has been awesome. I want to transition into our, our lightning round. We do a lightning round like so many other podcasts do. We're just, you know, following along, following the trend. Thanks again for your, your advice. And I'm sure we could go on forever, but uh, yeah, I really appreciate it. It's been a pleasure, Rod. <laughs> so our first question in the lightning round is, because we're the Jelly Marketing Podcast, and your answer doesn't have to be jelly, by the way, uh, what do you like to spread on your toast? Peanut butter. Nice. Are you a natural peanut butter guy, or you just go for a, a certain Adams. Adams. Is Adams. that natural? There's no sugar added. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of the natural one. It comes it's got lots oil. of oil in it. Yeah. You know what, Steve? <laughs> That's probably been our most popular answer so far is the Adams peanut butter. Yeah. <laughs> they must be doing well. What do you do to handle stress? Fish. Oh, yeah. Nice. Do you do you get out on the, and then salmon fish or what kind of fishing do you like to do? I fly fish, so I fish for all species, but it's fly fishing. Oh, yeah. That must be you. And you find that relaxing. Most of the time. <laughs> as long as you catch something, I guess. <laughs> yeah. If there's lots of fish showing and you're not catching anything, that can just add stress sometimes. <laughs> and and this is a loaded question. Oh, what kind of phone are you using these days? I think the last time I saw you, you were using a Samsung. But what are you using now? I've got an iPhone 6 Plus S. Oh, there you go. And what's your favorite app on their phone? That would be a hard answer for you. <laughs> Evernote. Evernote. Yeah, cool. Do you have a favorite life or business hack to share? Something, a shortcut, loophole, or something that makes your life easier? Hmm, that's a good question. You know, how can I put this? It, it, I'm a big believer in visualization and in, in just belief. You know, the fact that you just, when you, when you determine that you're going to do something, you do it. And in business, uh, for me, when I was talking about that, you know, beginning the TV show thing, I can still remember the, the moment that I made a decision that the show was going to happen regardless of what anybody else said. And so all of a sudden, my conversation with sponsors was not, if you give me the money, we will do this show. It's, if you don't give me the money, you won't be part of this show. And nobody wants to miss out. So d- deciding that something's going to happen and just believing that you can make it happen is a really, really powerful place to be. Mm. Great answer. I love that. I know you're a big-hearted guy. There's lots of causes out there, but I'm wondering if for the purposes of this podcast, if you could pick just one, what's a cause that's really near and dear to your heart? The MS Society. Mm. Do, you, do you know someone with MS? Oh, MS has touched my life uh, from the time I was born, and I'm sure it'll be touching my life when I pass. Uh, my mom had MS. My best friend's wife has MS. My best friend from high school has MS. Uh, it's It's been a part of my life. Yeah, we have several friends who have MS too, and it's frust- it's a frustrating disease. It's such a mystery, kind of. They're making a lot of progress on it, though. That money being spent by the MS Society is making a difference. Yeah, right on. And last but not least, what's the best way for people to find out more about you? I'd imagine it's your website, dototech.com. Dototech.com, and there'll be an irritating pop-up that will ask you to sign up for my newsletter. Sign up for my <laughs> newsletter. <laughs> You're practicing exactly what you've been preaching throughout this whole podcast. Well, that way you hear about all of our cool stuff, my webinars, my courses that you get to see, you see the new videos coming out. That's the best way for you to stay in touch with us. Yeah. I do have a question about that. Do you offer anything on that or you just, you're just asking people to sign up for your newsletter? 
I've got a combination depending on where you are on the website. If you're just on the landing page of the website, it's just sign up for the newsletter so you can stay in touch with us. Once you're in, um, if you're looking at, say, Evernote content, I'll offer you an Evernote uh, quick start guide. If you're into the any of the some of the other spaces, you might be offered a uh, a free little video to a free little video course, that sort of stuff. So I, I have both list builders and just straight up signups. What tool are you using to keep track of your emails and all that sort of stuff? Using something like Aweber or, or something along those lines? I start. I, I use Infusionsoft for my for my CRM. Uh, on my website, I use uh, Themify, a good Canadian company. The from the Shopify people is my WordPress theme. I use uh, I use Optin Monster uh, for the uh, for the for for my uh, website registration stuff. Uh, so I use a variety of different tools, but uh, certainly Infusionsoft is is kind of is at the heart of it. I don't recommend it. I don't think it's the best. I don't know if it is or not. Uh, it's just like my webinar software. I use Webinar Jam. I don't know if there's a better one out there because it, this is the one that I use and the one that I choose to make work for me. With a lot of these tools, people spend a lot of time bouncing back and forth and saying, you know, and just just uh, you know uh, just basically fretting over top of which tool they choose. If you find the tool that that looks right. You go with it, and then your actions determine whether or not you made the right choice. I, I, I did all the research I could when Infusionsoft, it was really just Infusionsoft or Entreport at the time. Today, if I was looking at a convert kit, would be in the equation. Uh, but once I decided on Infusionsoft, I stopped worrying about it, and I said, I'm going to make this one work for me, and then I learned to use the tool properly. And if you do that, you're going to be successful. Great. Well, thanks again, Steve. really appreciate you taking the time to join us today. Uh, it's my pleasure, sir. Thanks again to Steve Dotto for joining us on the 11th episode of the Jelly Marketing Podcast. If you'd like to check out some of the links and show notes from this episode, go to the Jelly Marketing Podcast page at jellymarketing.com and you'll find us under the blog tab of the website. Also be sure and check us out on iTunes and leave a comment and a rating. We'd love to hear from you and the more people that give us a rating, the more people we can reach. Thanks again and we'll talk to you soon. You can fly higher than the sky Shine brighter than the stars You can live for you ever wanted This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Get everything for your next roofing project at Menards. Your roof is the first line of defense against the elements. Owens Corning Shingles are designed to offer long-lasting performance while providing ultimate protection. They have a limited lifetime warranty and up to a 130-mile-per-hour wind warranty. Choose from over 40 options designed to protect your home for years to come. Say big on Shingles at Menards. And don't forget to check out our weekly ad on Menards.com. Save big.